Hey, everybody. Uh, you haven't heard from us in a while, but this is Gabe BC, the host of State of the Art, and we are back, finally, after a little bit of a hiatus. Sorry for leaving you in a lurch there, uh, but we actually have a new producer for the show. Uh, I'd like to introduce our new producer, LaFunchi. LaFunchi, hello. Hello, Gabe. And LaFunchi asked if I was just sitting here in my room during the quarantine uh, recording these podcasts by myself. And that's exactly what I do. That's <laughs> I all do I've it. been doing. <laughs> I do uh, so I'm so excited that you're going to be the new producer for the show. LaFunchi is an artist and a curator. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the kind of artwork that you create? Yeah, I've been doing some work in the intersection of uh, textiles and technology, basically connecting these two worlds of crafting, and especially weaving and technology and how computers think and how come you can connect both history there's like one line between weaving and computing nowadays oh i I wasn't even aware of that necessarily um well hopefully you'll be weaving some uh, interesting facts and stories into state of the art uh, (laughs) for my terrible joke of the day um but i'm super excited that you're joining the team and i'm really looking forward to all the guests that you're going to bring to the show and one of our first guests here is Efrain Rosas. So can you tell us a little bit about how you found Efrain and what kind of work he does? Yeah, Efrain Rosas, he's actually Peruvian. He's based in Brooklyn, but he's Peruvian, just like me. And he's a performer, he's a composer, he's a musician, and he's also a robotics and software developer. So he does some very interesting work. Um, he talks about mythologies and ethnicity and how to make instruments that sound the way we hear them. Fantastic. And he also dances with robots, I hear. I know. That's what I heard, too. I haven't seen any person, but I would love to. (laughs) Well, hopefully we can ask him about that on this episode. So let's take it away. Before we uh, interview Efrain, I just wanted to let you know you can always follow us at State of the Art on Instagram or Twitter, or you can email me at gabe at thestateoftheart.org. We look forward to your suggestions or even ideas for new episodes or guests. And uh, let's take it away here. LaFunchi, thanks for joining us. And let's talk to Efrain Rosas. But, oh, wait. Actually, let's maybe we can start by listening to one of Efrain's tracks. Um, I, he's got a new album out that came out in 2020. He's actually doing stuff in 2020, which is amazing. Uh, this is it from an album called I Enjoy the World. And we'll start with his track, No Good Without Evil. So let's give it a listen. Efrain, thank you so much for joining us. We were actually just listening to No Good Without Evil, uh, your song off your new album, I Enjoy the World. Hello, thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about that song? Like, we're, it's, there's a lot going on in this song. Yeah, so um, I th- that track was made, well, it's part of, of this project called I Enjoy the World. And the idea of this, this album was to to do a sonic meditation and also explore the possibilities of uh, rhythms that come from Latin America uh, uh, with an experimental approach. I created this Max MSP software patch uh, that that generates uh, rhythmic displacements. So it was an, an interaction between me and an algorithm that I created, and it was made using uh, recordings of uh, sounds from uh, bell sounds, and I also played some of uh, Yil, which is a a xylophone from Ghana, 
And mm. uh, yeah, it was an exploration in in repetition, in polyrhythms, and, and uh, trying to do a danceable, an experimentalism that you can dance to with a Latin American logic of rhythm. Fantastic. Before we talk more about I Enjoy the World, I want to back up and start kind of from the beginning here. So tell us a little bit about how you got started making music, making art in general. Did you study music growing up or is this something that you found later on in life? I I, I started kind of late, I guess, when I was 20, 20. Yeah, in my, when I was 20, I started taking percussion lessons, but uh, I was... But I was always involved in in, in music as, a, as an anthro- anthropologist. I was very interested in ethnomusicology. And Lima, I'm from Lima, Peru. Lima is a melting pot of, of many different cultures. The, the cultures from the Inca, pre-Inca, Spain, a- Asian populations. It's very interesting. It's a very interesting place, Lima. And, and our culture... Since since the Inca times has been always about mixing everything, hmm. so so I, I think I had that the opportunity to listen to listen to experimental music, also Peruvian music, and and then yeah, I started making music that was trying to bridge all those worlds. And you said you studied anthropology, though. I studied anthro- I studied anthropology. Yes, actually, I w- I started in law school. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was gonna be a lawyer because uh, actually there are several musicians in my family, and my my father was kind of scared that it, it was very it was kind of tough for them. They were really good, but it was difficult for them in terms of economy and you know. And back then, also when I was studying, uh, there were no universities teaching. Uh, music. This is very recent in Peru. There has been an interesting development of music, but it was very a small scene. So I switched to anthropology and tried to create my own uh, ethnomusicology curriculum. I was just doing projects around music in every course I took. And parallel to that, I was uh, studying Peruvian music, jazz, rock, everything I could I could do related to music and kind of created my own uh, kind of self-taught uh, or I created my own dream program mixing everything. Yeah. What was part of this dream program? Like what, what were the courses in the dream program? In the dream program, there was a uh, learning congas with some Cuban teachers, uh, teachers also music for Santeria, but also taking classes on Arduino and coding and uh, also doing a lot of research in Peruvian music. Uh, I actually wrote a book at the end of my, my anthropology uh, degree on the combinations in urban Lima of tradition and modernity. That was my my, my thesis on, for anthropology undergrad. So it was interdisciplinary too. I always was interested in theory too, you know, theory, critical mm-hmm. studies and 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 music, no? making music, and because even though I, I am saying that there's a uh, that Lima is a melting pot, it's also a very problematic city. There's still a lot of racism. There are there are a lot of divisions, not only here in Lima, but in the in general in general in the world. I think I think there could be much more dialogue between uh, 
I guess we could call Western technologies or Western music and non-Western music. There are still these divides. Or for example, in the gallery, you no know, people don't dance. It's very stiff. And also <laughs> in the dance uh, dance contexts in Latin America, salsa parties, cumbia parties. For example, I, 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 I've DJed also a bit. And if you put some experimental music, people would, would, would be angry. They want to, uh, you know, they want their typical music, no? So it was my my dream to combine all these scenes. But but I think those those divisions reflect uh, divisions between uh, mind and body that that Western culture has proposed. Also, a very strong colonial history that we have in Peru that has regarded traditional music as a lower lower art and music that comes from Europe and the US maybe as a higher art. Even to this day, it's very interesting that in universities, I, uh, as, a, as a teacher, I did a little research on the curriculum of Peruvian universities and still there is, there is not so much research in Peruvian music. The, the, the aim is to be able to play jazz or classical, classical music. So you are a quote unquote a professional musician, no? But there mm. are still yet to be more dialogues between those worlds. I have I love all those worlds, but I, I think they should be more mixed. No, I, I and I think this applies not only to Peru but in general in the world. No? But still there are things super interesting things happening all around the world. Yeah. Do you see that division taking place in technology as well, in music technology specifically? Like is is there sort of a favorite favoritism towards westerns or western way of music uh making in in terms of like music tech yeah the thing uh, i wouldn't uh use the word favoritism but i think it's it's uh natural no when you do something you are gonna put your your interests and the way you see the way you see life into into what you do and people who create software are humans no technology science is not a, a thing that grows naturally like a tree like an apple grows from a tree there are decisions made and it's a trajectory that has a lot of political decisions taste decisions and all of these decisions are informed by a culture so if if the technologies the new technologies that we are using are developed in spaces uh, you know that that come that come from a specific culture of course that that technology is going to reflect the ideas of that culture. Uh, in terms of uh, of software, uh, I, I was working, I had this salsa project that was experimental Latin American music, experimental salsa project called La Mecanica Popular. And I always wanted to use electronic beats, no, electronic music, in, but but it was, it was tough, it was difficult. So then I... I started wondering why not so many salsa musicians or Latin American musicians get their hands on and code. And I think th there is this idea that technology is not organic and it's not easy to to put across uh, the intricate polyrhythms used in the in salsa music and the, in a, in a very organic way. Mm. So I decided to start coding. No? I decided decided to start coding, 
and I made this software that, uh, as, as, as opposed to uh, the usual software we use uh, in music, that has the, the usual software has one clock and one grid that doesn't move. It kind of imitates the Western notation that where time flows from left to right, and there's one clock like a conductor leading this this time flow in my software i created these movable grids multiple movable grids and multiple clocks in in, in latin american music and west african based music uh, in a way each one of the percussionists or musicians is, is a conductor is a clock that has their own time of course a collaborative time not so independent time but an independent time at the end so i kind of emulated that logic in my software, and this became this project uh, called Do Robots Have an Ethnicity? This software became the brain of this robot, with, which improvises with a Latin American logic of rhythm, and became kind of a conceptual thing, you know, of, of asking, really asking, who are, uh, in whose image are we creating technology? What are the cultures that are defining the way in which technology is developing? And in the end, how we are integrating with technology. Today, I read that Elon Musk was saying that if we don't integrate with technology, we're going to disappear in the age of artificial intelligence. So how we are integrating with technology, you know, what concepts of the body, for example, a dancing body, how does that body dance? And I don't know, these questions I think are very important today. So when you're designing this piece, uh, do robots have an ethnicity? Are you programming an ethnicity into these robots or is it more of a question based on the systems that already exist? It's a question, but also I am I am using, as I said, this Latin American logic of rhythm. You know, I, I created this software that I think is more friendly, at least for me as a Latin American musician interested in polyrhythms. Uh, also visually, it's... Uh, I used uh, some elements from Latin American culture that I am close to. Uh, but also, I think robotics are also a symbol of European, U.S. or Western culture. So I try, mm. I try to make this object that blends, blends uh, all of these symbols and also kind of asking or, or stating that for example, I use these percussion drums that come from Santeria, Bata, which I, I learned with friends and teachers. I, I'm not a Santeria practitioner, but I've been around Santeria a lot in, in my community and uh, of musicians. And uh, drums are a technology too. Santeria is also a technology. If you if you want, if we can see it as a, as a psychiatric psychiatric exploration of the uh, the the um, uh, how body and mind integrate uh, through possession people explore their mind and also trying to show that technology, western technology has a mythology it's not so objective it's a, it's a mythology guided by efficiency by the, by the idea that the body uh, that, that enlightenment comes through the mind through intelligence, uh, through a mind or rational intelligence. And the body is a place maybe of sin or of fun. The body and the rhythm is not so important, maybe. And, uh, you know, I, I was trying to ask th those questions. And and also in the way I use this robot. I, I, 
I think a lot of the arts in in contemporary in, in contemporary art, a lot a lot of the projects that use technology emulate this very clean uh, Western laboratory aesthetic. Mm-hmm. It's very clean, yeah, very no? sterile look. Yes, yeah. yes. I I wonder where is this dancing bo- body? I dance with my robot using a lot of my pelvis you know and doing this these uh, these movements that are rarely seen in the gallery you know it, uh, it it and it's kind of weird you no know? it, it it even triggers <laughs> some cringe you know because uh, it's, uh, it's not put together it's not just like a perfectly pack, packaged sort exactly. of uh, performance yeah and also the movements you no know? the pelvic movements we are we have divided this the, our body in the it's either sexual or not sexual no if you start using the pelvis in a context where you have to be more serious or more in related to technology or efficiency is strange and i i really like triggering those those feelings also in terms of gender no uh, moving moving uh, your pelvis or your hips Maybe you can see in reggaeton or you know twerking, but but not not and and usually we related to to sex or to something funny maybe to something but but not use it in a very serious way. Serious in in the sense that we can really explore a lot there. I think a lot of our gender issues and our blocks as humans are located. In in those in those areas of the body, and 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 we have to explore them, no? And technology can be very useful for that. And I think Santeria, for example, is a technology that uses a lot those kind of of dance to explore the mind, to explore altered states of altered states of consciousness, and access wisdom, access information that is important for us humans, no? And I think there is a lot of information there. Uh, you know, there are a lot of stereotypes and a lot of ideas that we preconceived ideas of what the body is used should be used for and when no so i i try to kind of disrupt all of these these dichotomies with these performances with the robot and so how does the the robot teach you about moving your own body do you learn from the robot or are you programming the robot to move a certain way or to play a certain rhythm and you're responding to that rhythm I uh, in the last performance it was called body body rhythm data I the the robot was responding to to my movement I used a, a myo armband which uses electrical impulses from the muscles and it, it was basically it was receiving basically some how intense my movement was and but but if it's that's a very interesting question because i i don't i don't have the answer if, but definitely i don't know maybe in an unconscious level the act of creating something and creating something that really pleases you because these algorithms in the end are me you know it's like upload uploading my rhythmic mind into this thing and then it takes a life of its own so the rhythms are of course are created with some rules that i cre- that i made which i like and make me dance no and i and i kind of made the abstraction of the kind of found the the code that makes me dance no the things i like turned them into these mathematical patterns and made them into this generative software so 
the robot creates these, these things that make me dance. But there is something very interesting in empowering yourself to create something like that and kind of uploading it into something and, and seeing it. It's like a mirror, a strange mirror, but it's not you at the same time. It's this object that makes you dance. And a lot of people, when they see the robot playing, they say that they are surprised that a robot can make these dance moves. You know, somebody told me, oh, I, <laughs> I link this move, these rhythms with sweat, with body movement noise. And so, uh, and I don't know why it kind of empowered me or, and also because I contextualize it in a ritual environment, a personal ritual environment. I don't know. I think it, there is something about disrupting these ideas of the technology that you can, or that technology can be used to move, to move your pelvis, to move your ass, you know, and, 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 and to get into, <laughs> yeah, into altered states of consciousness too. It's a very different way of thinking about nobody usually thinks technology is made to move your ass, but I guess uh, it's interesting to think about it that way. What does this robot look like? I'm trying to set the stage for people who have never seen your work before. Like if they come to one of your performances, they see you and they see what? What does the robot appear as? It's a sculptor. I see it as a sculptor and and, and also kind of an altar, an altar. Mm. Uh, I, I, I am very interested in setting the stage as an altar, as a very minimal aesthetic and in the second iteration i guess in the first iteration it was very it had a lot of elements from latin american culture i guess could be seen as religious but they are not specifically religious but a person what kind of elements are those for example i had my my grandfather was uh, a was from the Rosicrucians. Do you know that? It was like a secret society. Uh, Eric Satie was Rosicrucian. Mm. Edison was Rosicrucian. There were these people who were linked to the Catholic Church, but they were into science. Like, and so they were trying to make this link. So these are these are these garments that I put there. I put also some drawings I made. I also put some... Uh, this present that some uh, friend gave me that are symbols from the Amazon and that are used by the Shipibo community. And so, yeah, different elements that made me feel uh, connected to these personal explorations in spirituality and, and, and um, yeah, spirituality. Personal. But these these uh, objects are not part of the robot itself, not part of the music making. No, they are. I see it as a no. I see it as a altar. yeah, as an altar, as a decoration, as a sculptor, no. And then the the robot itself is made by out of solenoid uh, motors, uh, motors that bang different objects, <laughs> and yeah, and it has this contraption, metal arms. Mm-hmm. And so the robot's sort of like a kinetic dancing sculpture, and it's banging against bells and different uh, drums yes, and that sort of thing. Percussion, bells, yes. And you just start this up and then start moving with the robot? That's how it works? Yes. I start it up, <laughs> and the robot receives data from my movement, and and it starts, it triggers different. I program different moments, too. I, I what work, kind of moments? I work, I work with it like I work in my music. I, I really like to create some rules for a specific moment. You know? For example, I could, I could say, okay, this first stage is going to be fast and it's going to last for 10 minutes. 
and then we're gonna slowly slow down and then we're gonna go to a plane of another 10 minutes and then it's gonna speed up again during 10 minutes and then we finish and in those within those spaces you can improvise within these frames so that's that's how i usually deal with musicians too my compositions are like that so and that's i kind of tell the robot this i tell the robot to do this uh stages and rules of course programming no yeah what are the differences between performing with a robot and performing with live musicians i mean do you, do you prefer the robot because it doesn't make mistakes or does it make mistakes uh, i think oh well depends what what do you mean by mistake no um, yeah it's different because in the, for me the the is 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 strange now that you're asking it's making me think this that for me playing with a robot is much more personal it's more intimate because i think it's um i i i once again it's it's very strange to create this thing that is a reflection of yourself but at the same time is independent and it 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 allows, and it's a sculptor, no? It's a kind of, I, I make it, I charge it with symbols that trigger in me uh, very intimate feelings related to spiritu- spirituality, to rhythm. So it's a, it's a more, uh, I guess, co- cognitive and spiritual experience. It's, it's more in that direction. But playing with musicians is, of course, there, it's, it's more responsive. My robot is not that responsive. It's 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 limited in that sense, no. And and it's okay. It's okay that it's like that. But yeah, it's 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 uh, playing with musicians. Uh, of course, no. It's it's more responsive and has a, another set of possibilities. But they are very different experiences. Well, it seems like there's sort of a freedom that comes with performing with this robot, though. Mm-hmm. It allows you to ha- almost transcend your body and your limitations and maybe some of your inhibitions as well. Yes, definitely. It legitimizes some aspect of my experience. And, uh, well, in a way, it also does well, it kind of uh, really underst- understands what I want. No? It's an algorithm that is really uh, made to my own image and uh um, um, for sure it's uh i think humans we have always used altars and symbols as way of of triggering experiences no and and the project myth and prosthesis of which the robot is part was about that to creating your personal mythology which informs a technology you know in 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 order to empower yourself in how you connect your mind and your body and how you navigate cognitive processes and cognitive processes by cognitive processes i mean altered state altered states of consciousness uh, the way we see reality because i think social media and new technologies are mainly about cognitive processes some some authors are talking about cognitive capitalism it's it's they are dealing with in with the way in which we make synaptic connections and how we connect reality with our body with our mind so i was trying to create my own space for that having more cognitive freedom i do believe that in the future cognitive processes are going to be a matter of human rights uh, it's mm. it's a very dangerous uh, or very at least uh 
problematic and important area, the cognitive processes related to this, um, uh, yeah, the way we use, use technology, you know, it's, it's really mm -hmm. influencing the way we work, we, we think and the way we relate to our bodies and to reality. So, so it was kind of a cognitive activism, if you want. Uh, this, <laughs> That's the, the series yeah. myth and prosthesis is, a, is cognitive act activism. Yes, I will. I will. I think so. I think so. To create your own mythology, which informs uh, a technology. I think all technologies are informed by a mythology, and, uh, and and power is related to that too. To creating mythologies and technologies that uh, that are informed by those mythologies, no. And 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 in the end, we are seeing it. It's very obvious now that how these technologies are modifying the way we think and the way we we relate to each other and to reality. And what are some of these mythologies that you're creating in this series? I see that there's uh, four parts to this series. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. And what are the, are, are they each sort of developing and discovering a different myth as it relates to our society? Yeah. When, when I talk about mythologies, I guess it's, uh, there, it's a space where we navigate the, the, the irrational too. No, the irrational, the connection between the rational and the irrational, the frontier where we we where rationality or our usual discourse stops working, and we need to 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 think in a, in another way. It's the the limit of our minds. No, maybe it's the deep questions. No, why do we live? Maybe it's it's about maybe for you it's success or money or religion or or whatever it is. No, we all have an answer to that. There is a reason, a deep reason, uh, for which we we wake up every day and do what we do. And uh, the stages, I don't think it's related each one to a mythology. It's more about a process. I guess the first one, uh, do robots have an ethnicity, has to do with questioning the the technology we accept by default, no, and saying, okay, what what. Can I make my own technology and also understanding what are the mythologies that inform those technologies? I think, as I, as I said in, at the start of the interview, for example, in the case of music technology, uh, the mythologies that inform usually music technology are technologies that don't take so much in account a dancing body. Uh, and and uh, you know, with the interfaces are a, a phone or a, a laptop. I, I haven't seen many interfaces that include a dancing body, especially a Latin American dancing body that uses a lot of sweat and pelvis, you know? So that was that. And then in I Enjoy the World, which was the second installment of Myth and Prosthesis, which is the album, the record, I did this, um, that was going more deep into the unconscious level, I think. It was... A lot of experimentation with different states of mind. It was using uh, me meditation, fasting, or also maybe uh, psychedelics too, and di different states of mind. Also, also total abstinence of of a lot of things to to explore uh, different ways of to try to free myself from the usual and the normal states of my mind and my body and what what to see what happens if you do that and use it in a productive way in a productive way to in this case to create music to code to make technology 
Then came the third one is Robot Teach Us to Pray, which is where I started dancing with the robot. And for me, it was, uh, I guess, using a mythology of, of prayer. But, but also, this is important for me. I think official religions, maybe New Age, have monopolized this language of, say, like praying or spirituality. I don't necessarily agree with official religions or New Age. I wanted to to create my own versions of this, a very personal version of these words. So, and if dancing could be used, dancing and technology could be used to something, to do something, um, something spiritual, something pure, no? Looking for that. And, and, and then the fourth one is body rhythm data, where I ask, where I, the reflection is about how social media and new technologies are the mythologies guiding social media and new technologies are about converting everything into uh, into data which is a, which has a value no everything converting everything into something that can have an exchange value a monetary value i think that's one of the mythologies of our contemporary life efficiency and monetizing and a very material very material concept of life so the idea was to say okay can technology be used not to turn our emotions, our rhythms into data that can be bought or sold, but to turn it into something sacred. And sacred for me is what cannot be bought or sold. Is the sacred expanding or contracting in our lives? And can technology make it expand in a collective way? So that was another mythology I guess I was trying to use to guide my technology, a technology of the a mythology of the sacred guiding mm-hmm the development of technology, a, a, a mythology of trying to expand what cannot be bought or sold, as opposed to the mythology of that everything can be turned into something that can be bought or sold. And for each one of these different uh, parts of myth and prosthesis, are you developing a new physical robot to perform with, or are they kind of being repurposed and reused throughout the sequence? It was a development. Everything was a, was like another brick on top of the the other one. It was a new stages. No, for example, in the last stage, I used interaction with the robot. The robot processing data through this muscle movement detection. The robot teaches to pray. It was just the the robot generating algorithm with an algorithm generating rhythms. And you responding to that. Yeah, me responding to that. Yes, exactly. And the previous one was just using the software that then became the the brain of the robot. No, wait. Yeah, in the second one, making music. And the first one was just the sculptor, the robot on its own that was presented in a gallery, you know, as more as an art piece. Yeah. And in the in the third piece, you're dancing with the robot, but it should be mentioned that you're dancing naked as well yes. with this robot. Yes. How, how, how did that decision come to be that you were going to perform naked dancing with the robot? I think um, it was a, a liberating aspect for me also. You don't think, no, you, I, I, I don't know. Uh, what do you think? You don't think of technology as something you have to be naked with. No, it's very, right. I think it's very... Not at all, no, because the body is not not present, no, it's more about the mind and how your mind navigates the the cloud so what's what is this technology that you that requires 
or that is made to be naked with to explore something, no? And collectively, no? It was also a vulnerability thing to to do this ritual that is makes me very vulnerable and it's a lot about the body and using the body to uh, to arrive to to some knowledge, no? As I said, I think in western culture knowledge and uh, um, science technologies is linked uh, to the mind not to the body using the body as a source of production of of knowledge of technology that to and, and of course no the uh, terms of gender to and body positive uh, ideas no accepting yourself and not being ashamed of of who you are, just being super, very open and and using technology for that. I I want I really wanted to to explore that in a in a in a social context context. Yeah, yeah. I guess usually we see technology as a filter for our bodies in a way, right? Like mm-hmm. people try to make themselves look better on social media or augment their the image of themselves. But this is a very honest depiction of yeah you responding to this machine or this robot. Yeah, uh, and, and also, and also, it's a technology to be present with. No, it's it's not something thought to be uploaded, or it's it's something. The, the idea was to be at the performance and to feel it. No, that 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 was also a decision because it started as a software. But I, then I said, no, I'm gonna make it into a physical thing because there are differences. No, between experiencing just a software coming out from a speaker or in your headphones through the internet than to be present there, seeing the thing move and sounding in a space with another body. Yeah. And do people dance with you? Like, do the, the audience, do they get involved? No, no. In in the, no, because it's a very intense performance and people are just watching and yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was very, yeah, very much like that. Is that something that you're interested in in the future? Is uh, having some sort of audience participation, or do you view this as more of a curated performance piece? I mean, with with my project La Mecánica Popular, the main thing was to make people dance, and it was really cool. Like we always did, it was very successful in that sense. It was amazing. With this, uh, well, myth and Processes has ended. It's not anymore. It was it it ended. But no, I, I never had the idea of making people dance because I think. Usually, what what I see in performances that that kind of propose the people to dance or want people to dance in this non-conventional way, it can be a gimmick and it can be forced. Mm. You know, I think, of course, my the utopia is that the, the ideal for me was that everybody would be dancing freely, but 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 that doesn't happen in in one performance or just because I write something down and propose people to do it. That's a social development no that takes that takes uh social processes take long no uh, to, it was more about hey look i have this idea what do you think no what what if there was a world where we could dance freely ritually and collectively dancing together to liberate ourselves using technology that's kind of no but of course that's an ideal a future no i, I was wanted to propose a, a discussion like that i think it will, I mean, in a way, that's happening, no, in different contexts with electronic music. But I think it could be even more liberating, and and 
I don't know, informed by ritual traditions from Latin America, as I said, like Santeria or, or others. Mm-hmm. It's interesting thinking about how much the body comes into play, you know, whether that's the technological body or your physical body, especially now during the time of this pandemic. I'm yes. kind of curious, is, is that changing the way you're making work or are you making anything new as a response to what's going on with uh, COVID? Yeah, definitely. COVID changed uh, a lot my approach. I, I have made a shift in my in the way I'm working. I'm working in a new pro- project now that has to do a lot with with silence here in Peru, the I was I was well I actually was in New York when when the thing happened and then I came back I flew I had to do some stuff here in Peru so I came back and uh, here the restrictions were very harsh people could not get out and there was this big silence and then I I started asking myself okay if if, if nobody's gonna see my art am I gonna continue making art so what is the motivation to do art no what is the motivation why why do I make things uh, i think by default we think that uh, we have to make art that has to be seen and uploadable and in a specific format for social media and uh, yeah and, and also uh, it can't be ephemeral it has to be documented and registered to be so we can be able to put it in social media so it made me realize that why why do I have to follow this um, this pattern? What what are the true the true motivations behind this? If if the internet disappeared or if people could not see my art, would I continue doing it? And if so, why? So that was a a, a very deep question for me. And I think a lot of artists have have done it. I also felt that very quickly we just uh, we have. Um, uh, filled the internet with with information without asking ourselves before okay what 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 can we do to make this better no i think what i feel right now is that there's kind of a pollution of of information there's so many this post truth uh, and the conspiracy theories and a lot of information that is not based in uh in, in research or or truths right so i feel like this material pollution that we that we have in the material world, we are turning it into information pollution, and and uh, I think people just too quickly switch to internet mode and and uh, virtual mode without all of us did no without thinking without stopping for a bit and I, that idea of to stop what does it mean to stop can we stop I've also felt this like uh, this force that moves everything to continue. Of course, some people have to continue, but some people, I think a lot of artists, we have the time, and I think that's the interesting aspect of art, that it's a space to make questions, maybe slow down, no? and I think it's a very interesting moment to do that, to, to stop a little bit and, and figure out what other ways can we do things that don't have to be this pre-formatted social media um yeah this format no of social media um, so are you are you making a performance then based on this idea of stopping or how are yes, you interpreting yes i am i am doing this this not a performance but a sound piece that is using a lot of silence hmm. a lot of silence silence but silence as a concept of in a, is 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 the idea is to use it in, in a big space 
I re the idea of silence for me is very interesting because I think time, sound, and the architecture of a space come together when, when, when you use silence, when you pay attention to this, the silence on a space. It's, uh, it's material, it's sonic, it's also about time. So yeah, I'm, I'm, working, I'm working on that and it's very, it has to be experienced no? live. So yeah. Have you been working on any other performances like during this time? I don't know, by yourself or uh kind of in the quarantine have i done any performances yeah i'm kind of curious if you i guess it's hard to do performance <laughs> by yeah, yourself yeah. or any like network things or performances for fewer people or anything like that uh i actually was i cannot say too much because i have a project that was made to be only uh, not, uh it, it's called offline virtual it's it's a it's a I've been promoting some activities that are totally offline, that are that will never inhabit the online world. So what does that look like? But I cannot talk too much because about it because it's it's meant to not to exist in the internet. So <laughs> I propose this to some artists. Yeah, and also thinking of the virtual offline, I think in the in the pandemic, the, especially in places where there were there was silence and. It was very mysterious. No, we kind of realized that the meaning of life can shut down in one minute. No, so it's a mystery, and I think this mystery really became very tangible of this space that is virtual. No, but it's not online. It's the virtual offline. Maybe mm. spirituality. Maybe the meaning of life. I think this mind space that is very mysterious, mythical. It became very tangible, at least at the start of the pandemic, when everything was like, whoa, what, what the hell is going on? What's going to happen? I think there was a moment that the mystery kind of, when a dolphin shows its back, you say the mystery appeared and says, <laughs> hello, remember, don't forget you don't know anything. <laughs> you know? Right. It's not all there recorded don't, for don't, you don't, and put on the for, internet. Don't forget. You don't know the meaning of life at all. It can yeah. stop in any minute. So this was inspired by that. But as I say, I cannot talk too much because it's meant not to exist on the internet. It's virtual <laughs> and offline. So maybe well, now I'm very maybe, I'm very maybe, curious now. Maybe we'll come this to is. you. Maybe we'll come to you someday in the in the virtual offline world. <laughs> okay, I'm looking forward to that virtual offline uh, messenger that will come to me. Yes. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks so much for being on this podcast. I've, before we go, we have some rapid fire questions for you. Uh, okay. These are questions, just kind of silly questions to get uh, to know you a little bit better. Okay. Um, what was your favorite song growing up? Oh my God, it has to be a quick answer, right? Yeah, quick answer. The first L thing that pops into your mind. Locomia by the group Spanish group Locomia, same name. Locomia? <laughs> yes. Do <laughs> you want to sing a little bit? No, it's okay. <laughs> oh, you can't uh, it. It's crazy. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite robot from film, like a sci-fi film or just, a, I guess, any kind of film involving a robot? Oh my God. Maybe some, there was this Japanese series that I watched when I was a kid. It was, it, it was called Ultra, Ultra 7, Ultra 7. I don't know, but yeah, it was from this Japanese 70s show. <laughs> And does that robot uh, hold a special place in your heart? Do you ever reference it in your work? No, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you had to personify yourself as a musical instrument, what would it be and why? Uh, wow. It would be... I don't know. It's very difficult. I guess I'm just going to say a bell. I love bells. A hmm. huge bell because it's very resonant and it's a lot about 
space and silence. So I'm gonna go. I've been thinking a lot about bells these times. That's great. Um, so if we're gonna go out on one of your songs from "I Enjoy the World," what should we what should we play here at the end to end end the podcast? Oh, maybe we could play either. You choose. It can be either El Miedo a la Muerte, which is a flute and, and drums, or... The, the Fear of Death. The Fear of... <laughs> or, or, or what's our other option? Or or also, if, you can choose the, from the Experimental Salsa music album, The Mecanico Popular, The Sense let's go. Let's go with The Fear of Death. Okay. I, I'd like to end on The Fear of Death. That's always a good place to end. Okay. Um, <laughs> so Efrain Rosas, thank you so much. Uh, we're going to end here with uh, the fear of death, el miedo de la muerte. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, uh, thanks, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of State of the Art. State of the Art is an at-art production originally created by Ethan Appleby. Weston Stevens is our audio engineer extraordinaire, Francesca rodriguez Sawaya is our producer, and Abby Asmus is our intern. I'm the host, Gabe BC. You can find us at State of the Art on Instagram or Twitter. Stay tuned for another episode next week.